All right, well, we are here at Riviera Country Club at the Genesis Invitational, the newly named Invitational status. Uh, we're like, what, 30, 35 steps from the Hogan statue with a very important man. We don't have Mr. Hogan here sitting with us, but Jeff Shackelford is here. He has a ton of history here at Riviera Country Club. What I want to know is in the L.A. golf power rankings, where is Jeff Shackelford? Because you got like, <laughs> like George Gankis is up there now. Uh, he, Tiger, he's do, high. We, do we continue yeah. to include Tiger? Tiger's not. If they're on the list, I'm not on the list. Is Tiger is Tiger yeah. a California golfer at this point? He's kind of deserted us, but coming back to host the Genesis, I think mm-hmm. gets him back in full uh, full status on the list. Uh, L.A. I don't know. He's more of an Orange County guy, but yeah. but we're very happy to have him. Okay. Very happy Are you at least to above have him Sean hosting. Martin? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, he's moved too. So yeah, I'm doing well in that regard. Uh, so, like I said, you have a ton of history here, and you wrote the history book here. What is probably most interesting to me is like where does your history begin where like you have been around this place for your entire life you still live very yeah. close so where does it all begin for you here uh you know i was very lucky my uh dad was in the golf business and he joined here when i was about 50 about almost 16 and so i got to play the course a lot it was a crazy place at that time it was a public golf course essentially it was very busy like we would have to put our name on a board and wait two hours to get wow. out now they do like twenty five thousand rounds a year yeah. and it's ultra private yeah um so it was a uh just a great way to kind of i was always interested in course design and history and obviously being here and then you start kind of uh absorbing who's walked these grounds and every great American golfer has has played here, including Bobby Jones, who mm-hmm. didn't really like the course. It probably, it seems it was too hard to him <laughs> when it opened. He made a comment. And there's a picture of him and his hair is, you know, his hair was never out of place. And he just looks like he's been in a, a wind yeah, tunnel. He just looks miserable. Time. And it's in our history book. I loved that photo because it was like, oh, well, that that matched his quote. Uh, and his only beef was the course was too hard. But then you go through, you know, Nicholas didn't win here, but he got close. And then every other great player probably in in the upper echelons has won here except yeah. tiger and jack. tiger and jack isn't that crazy it's, it's yeah. just nuts uh because it's generally rewarded great players and jack came so close <laughs> many many time. times yeah. i mean the pga the senior open la opens it's kind of it's kind of like tiger only tiger hasn't played here as much no. right Although- he has played 13 times yeah although he now he's yeah, made it even sneaky. harder on himself he's made it like this is going to be one of the strongest fields in the entire yeah. year now. Yeah, he has made it more difficult. He decided so, to uh, ignore the event during the like real, real prime of his career. Mm-hmm. He did. He had reasons. Um, the greens weren't as good back then, and you know how he feels about POA. So that mm. was part of it. And then he had a bad experience here in 2006 um, where he played. He was a little under the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Williams did not pack an umbrella, and we had a surprise rain. Uh, we didn't have radar quite even then like we have now or forecasting like we have now, which is amazing to think that was only 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, gets wet, gets more sick. And then he was staying East of the golf course, which you don't do the one negative of this tournament. Okay, Cause we're, we're, we're staying West. You're staying West, which I asked Dylan quickly, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> early on in these discussions, yeah. laying the groundwork for yes. this, this seminal podcast recording, uh, that, you do not stay east of the course. And for whatever reason, he was, and he got caught. Uh, it's the worst time of year. There's just, everybody's working. Hollywood's working. Every school's in session. Yeah. And he got stuck in like an hour and a half of traffic Damn. just to get to the 405. Yeah, I was in eighth grade at this point, so and I don't he has, know this history. he did not come back after that. And I actually asked him uh, the first year he was coming back and involved in this. Uh, I said, you are staying west, west of the golf course. And he laughed and he goes, yeah. So he learned his lesson. Anyway, but but to my story here, so I just fell in love with the history. And I mean, it's as historic a, a course as there is in the United States, yeah. just in terms of the people who've been here, the architecture, the movie stars. Yeah, we just had the Oscars last night. Yeah, and everything about this place has just been nuts in terms of the the, the history and, and then the location. I mean, you guys have, do win the award for the best podcast location wow. I've, I've right ever seen. Right off the 18th grade. Uh, with the ocean view, and yeah, it's pretty we stunning. We can see the water. So, we can see number 10. This is my first time at Riviera, my first time seeing number 10 in person. Yeah, Very yeah the exciting. famous 10th. It should be interesting. We got a big downpour yesterday, so my yeah. play, I, I'm glad, though. It, 
It's been very cold here, and when it gets cold, that green gets a little borderline. So. Uh, I mean, are these two of the best golf holes on the PGA Tour, in your um, estimate, or do you not feel that way? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I have some conflicted feelings about the 10th hole of late, as a lot of the players mm. do. It's been getting a little borderline yeah. tricky. That's yeah. why I said it was nice that it rained yesterday, because when the green gets pushing like 13 and a half, it can get a little goofy. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, 18s, it's a... Um, it's it's kind of a bizarre hole in a lot of ways because so the bunkers don't really mean much. It's a blind tee shot. There's not much around the green, and yet right. everybody loves it. It's um, sure the bunkers. No, they're only are, in play for a bad golfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they're they're for, for looks more than anything. So it's it's this kind of bizarre finish, and yet over the years it's produced all these great moments. And the amphitheater, I think, is the thing that yeah <clears throat> you just can't grasp on television. There's nothing like it in golf because. It's it's not only is it able to host a lot of people, but it's vertical and and the noise when there's a moment there is there's nothing like it in golf because mm-hmm. it's so vertical, so on top of the green that it's just uh, that's why so many people love to sit there on Sunday. How how long does it take you to write and research and do all the work for a course history like this place? I mean that has to take you countless weeks. Yeah, months, I was years. really lucky. It was fine. I had a full year to work on it. I. I proposed it after college when I realized I couldn't play. How old were you? I was 23. Damn. And uh, <laughs> they had the PGA coming up and they wanted to do something. And so I proposed it and I had some great help from older members. And uh, Jim Murray wrote the foreword, the great LA Times yeah. columnist, Ben yeah. Crenshaw, who I got to know during the Greens Project here, which really got me interested in golf course design. Okay. Um, he wrote a wonderful foreword about the course. So that was an incredible and they were all in do. on a 23-year-old doing this work. Well, I, I like guess that's, I like anything. Kind of I showed my passion for it and my interest. You know, when you get older and you meet people who are younger who who appreciate history. You can tell. You, you can tell, you can see it, and you want to help them. So mm-hmm. I've kind of become the same way with people who show an interest in golf history. And Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of incredible people around here at the time. And then the owner uh, is very passionate about the history, and he, as he should be because yeah, it's important. The more you tell the story of this place, the more you realize, holy cow, there's nothing quite like Riviera in American golf in terms of, again, not just tournament history, architecture, then you have the added element of, of celebrity and yeah. Yeah. Um, that just, that just uh, and then just having so many events here and, and the events the Olympics, that we've had man. here. And then the Olympics in uh, 2028. So yeah, it's got um, everything coming here. Yeah, I did want to know some of those stories because you know we can get kind of east coast centric we can get florida (laughs) centric when it comes to uh pga tour especially you know with half the top 20 living in jupiter right um what is it about la golf that is different and do you have any of these favorite stories about you know celebrities playing the game playing at these clubs around here it's an odd town golf town (laughs) i I have no problem confessing that it's not america's greatest golf city uh for a couple reasons uh the the exclusive clubs are are very exclusive um the beauty of riviera is that it does open its doors to tournaments so we all get to come and enjoy it once a year with the greatest players in the world that's nice which you don't always get um la country club is going to host the u.s open in a few years that's incredible uh again knowing their history but we have we have kind of an odd dichotomy of these elite great golf courses and then the public golf course scene isn't great. The city of LA yeah. isn't so hot in the way they maintain the courses and they've kind of let them go and we have the, we have the the facilities they're just like a lot of cities they're, they're more I mean we have a homeless problem so it's like how can you be yeah. spending Are money on golf courses golf? it's tough. Right. So and they have a lot of layers. So it's a weird city in that sense. Not a lot of places to hit balls and yet you go to Rancho Park and just like places back east, amazing characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pro- used to produce a lot of really good golfers, and uh, they're always characters on the range, just hitting balls. And um, Studio City range used to be famous for the celebrities who went there. Probably still go there, although it's not long for this world. So it's a it's a weird town that way. And then obviously, stars. I mean, that was one of the fun things going back uh, to do the the to your question, the book, uh, just stuff like. That uh, Humphrey Bogart used to, you know, hear it on the broadcast. It's become almost a drinking game. You know, he used to love to just get completely sauced out there on the 12th, leaning against that tree. And Jim Murray was the one who'd always see him yeah. sitting there. So he'd write about it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is how that got passed along. Um, but there are 
you know, we have, it's interesting because the celebrity element at Riviera kind of started more with the polo club, okay. which is where, uh, you'll be parking this week. Yes. Um, not you. At the Paul Revere junior not high. You. Well, yeah. let's, it's only Monday. I, may, I may make school. somebody mad and you may see me on the middle school show, <laughs> but that, that uh, Riviera really struggled like a lot of clubs in the thirties with, with golf because of the depression, but the polo club was the place to be. I mean, it would, they had a Sunday polo game. Uh, or match and and Clark Gable, uh, Will Rogers was kind of the host. Uh, just the Doug, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, all these so that the biggest celebrities the of the day, and that kind of kept everything going. Huh. The Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel, famous yeah. restaurant and bar, is called the Polo Lounge because that's where they went after huh. the Polo. But um, I mean, they used to get big crowds for it. It was the thing that kind of kept all this going. So it's funny how when you look at the history of the place. You think Riviera, and they had these yeah. great tournaments in the yeah. late 20s. Golf But then tennis. the Depression, uh, it was something like polo that kind of kept it going, whereas other places struggled. So it's, it's just uh, multi-layered and just a wild place. When you finish this project, writing the club's history, there has to be like one or two or three things that you learned that blew you away or that you would have never imagined happened. I'm just assuming here. What were those things? What blew you um, away? Well, on the totally architecture wonky side, and I won't bore you with it, but but Ben Crenshaw was the one. I gave him some of the articles I'd found. And the, and the thing that we kind of, where we hit it off was as they were doing the project, I was at school at um, Pepperdine and I was yep. playing golf and I was not playing well and I was not enjoying the game anymore. And I was you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my uh, life. And then they were doing this project here. And so I just, for whatever reason, I just started getting kind of a bug of wanting to find old photos so I went to some of the old libraries around here, found these photos, yeah. bring them out, show Ben. And of course, you know, they're in the middle of the project. And he was like, wow, this would have been nice to have had before like we six started. Months ago, 12 months um, ago, yeah. But anyway, so it was really fun to learn all the things that I learned about the course. And then he showed me things like this 18th green you're looking at. Mm -hmm. They filled this whole area to get the green to be at the same level as a fairway. Yep. Um, which at the time would have been unbelievable to was it, that amount of work to fill that up, was, things like that. It was a bit sunken? It was much more sunken, yeah. Huh. It was. This was a canyon where we're here sitting above the 18th green where everybody will see the, the amphitheater. It was yep. actually kind of a cool sage and scrub canyon, and this got filled in at some point to facilitate the bigger crowds and, and this area up above. Anyway, so things like that. And yep. then obviously in the, in the tournament history, you know, you go back – um, and this is the 70th anniversary of yep. Hogan's comeback, uh, which was here at Riviera. And no offense to Tiger. Um, I'm kind of putting Tiger now third on all-time great comebacks because I, okay. I kind of forgot that Babe Zaharias won a U.S. Open with, uh, with a bag, uh, you know, after colon cancer. And, <laughs> yeah, um, that's next level. Yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of <laughs> next level. Yeah, and, but, but Hogan came here, whether it was cold, rainy, crappy, um, you've seen probably photos where he's sitting on a little footstool on uh -huh. the range. There's a pretty famous photo there. Had to soak his legs every night in Epsom salt. Um, they made a movie about that yeah. 1950 comeback. And not only was it crazy, he lost in a playoff to Sam Snead. They had to come back after the Crosby to finish it. No yep. way. They did it on a, oh, gee, I think it was on a Wednesday. <laughs> Because there was a women's event on Tuesday, they had to drive from back from Pebble Beach on Monday, so the famous uh, comeback uh, took forever. Yeah. And it was—I mean, it's crazy Weeks. to think how he went through all that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that—you know—it was such a short amount of time since his bus getting hit by a bus. Um, so it was when you think about everything and the way he played this place was just insane. Um, winning the U.S. Open here and the, and the L.A. Open in '48. Um, but all the stories around him, obviously, are the ones that yeah. tend to get the most um, attention. And you just, you know, you want to go back and experience that time. It had to be I don't know. kind of incredible. Yeah, I think. Other than the, the you know, certain things, luxuries that we don't really want to experience again. But it had to be, yeah. it had to be an incredible time watching him out here. And the crowds were great. And you see the old, I mean, the old photos of tournament golf here are just Anybody looks at him and it's like, wow, you know, the way people dressed, yeah. the way the course looked, the bunkers look, uh, it's just you know, black and white. It's just got a mystique It's one of those it. courses that you, you know, some courses, the PGA Tour just kind of runs over and the players, the technology, everything has changed how that course is treated. This is one that has kind of stood the test of time. And 
when you look at it, you don't feel like it's going to lose to the PGA Tour. I want to pose that as a question rather than a statement. <laughs> how, how has this place changed over the last, you know, since you've written that history in the 90s, the last couple of decades at Riviera, what has happened? Yeah, well, that's where I've uh, gotten in a little bit of trouble because I've been a little critical of some of those changes. Sure. Uh, they've added a lot of length. They have tried to restore some things that are in the photos, some to great effect, some to horrible effect. Yeah. Um, for different reasons that most people don't care about. But it's very hard to add on to greens like they did and have it work real well. Um, so it has adjusted that way in terms of adding the length. Uh, it's adjusted with um, other components, not without much rough, by the way. They don't really no. like to grow rough, and I'm looking at it. I mean, they the Steve Rantoul is the advanced guy from the tour, and he just feels Riviera doesn't need to be uh, a course with a lot of rough to be interesting. Yeah, I do. I do. It's one of the coolest things. And so this is Dylan's first time here Mm -hmm. that you're going to really, I think get a kick out of when you go out knowing you and how you like to watch golf. Um, It is, I think it's the best spectator course on the tour. And one of those reasons is there isn't much rough and guys hit it into the trees pretty easily here because either the ball runs or it's just not a, you know, it's only 130 acres. It's not a huge property. right? So you get up close here to players, especially over on 13 and, and um, 15, and you, you get to hear, I mean, you're standing right next to them, listening to them deal with this recovery shot. And, and then you can jump between nines yeah, easily. You can learn some stuff. Um, and it's it just the stuff you, the intimacy of the experience is just so different here than just about any course on the tour. Um, and that, to me, is why I love, you know, you just love to come out and watch. You can watch any group and you just see stuff and there's spots where you can hang out and um, it's, it's, it's just different. I wasn't sure where that phrase was going, knowing the way you like to watch golf. That was direct. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, so well, I'm an eavesdropper. A lot of maybe, writers which, don't like to yeah, leave yeah. the press center. And uh, um, uh, that's really all that really was, was a shot at some of our peers. And yeah. um, I think you'll find that it is... Uh, a play, once you get on the course, it's tough to get here. Yeah. But once you get out there, there's just something special about it. And then obviously you just see interesting play because the players are engaged here by the course. It's subtle and uh, requires, you know, all the cliched stuff, every yeah. club in the bag. You got to move it both ways. Mm-hmm. In recent years, it has become bomber yeah. friendly. I mean, you look yeah. at the last three winners and it's uh, it? JB, Bubba, DJ. Yeah, that it? that's it. And that's the, the trick for Tiger is in theory, Riviera should be the best course on the PGA Tour yeah, for him because it's the hell out so of much it. about the yeah. approach shots. But now they hit it so far that, that a hole like number three where the, the kind of the way the green sits and angled, it used to matter to be on the left side of the fairway. Well, now they're all hitting a, a sand wedge or yeah. a pitching wedge, yeah. in, unless it's really into the wind. It's like, well, that that takes away some of the mm-hmm. elements for him that reward him. So that's that's the one place it's – but that's not the course's fault. Yeah, yeah is there anything else um, that you know being an, ec- an expert on the course that viewers at home should watch for? You know, guys that aren't going to be here in person, but if you're watching the broadcast, here's something to keep an eye out for. Oh, well, we've lobbied for years – to have uh, feature hole coverage, uh, PGA Tour Live, just on the 10th hole. Because it's like yeah. the 17th at Sawgrass and a few really? others where you can just sit there all day and watch. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the coolest things of this week, again, if you're on site or you subscribe to those things, is that, yeah, they have the broadcast window, but a lot of the best golf happens Outside of early, <laughs> uh, before the window, uh, where you get great groups going out and starting their round on 10. And yeah. it's wild to watch people start on 10 because, uh, you know, you you've been really waiting, the tournament starts. And you, you know, I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I watched a guy just make double right out of the shoot. And then, you know, <laughs> and the look on their face is yeah. just like, wow, I, I just cannot <laughs> believe I started the tournament that way. And then late afternoons here, again, after they sign off, uh, when we have a good weather week, uh, it's just so cool to be out there. And I don't know, I don't think they have bonus late coverage, but um, if you're spectating, it's just incredible because, again, the crowd thins and you get out Mm -hmm. there and you're following the group of, you know, uh, Phil Jordan and Rory. And uh, they're, yeah, at 445, there's there's 200 people out there and you get to be uh, right up front and up close. So stuff like that is great. But then the course, you know, it's one of those that doesn't, you don't pick up a lot of the things on TV. 
Um, part sure. of that's the way they do coverage. Part of it is uh, uh, just the nature of the course. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just not one that's, there's not a lot, there's no water. Mm-hmm. The barrancas aren't jumping out at you and all that. So it's, it, there's a lot of subtlety that I'm sure people watching go, what's the big deal? It just looks green and near mm-hmm. the ocean and they have celebrities. But right. when you get out there and you see the, the intricacies of, of all of it, it's, uh, it's, it's really special. And then there's the Kukui grass, which is... Different. Greatest, greatest fairway grass in the world, worst uh, for the approaches. But, yeah. Um, and again, it really gets in their heads, these guys, because they, they don't play it much. Yeah. Uh, I love how you said Phil, Jordan, Rory as a possible group, because all those guys are playing this week. Uh, at least, I believe Speed is playing this yep. week. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, he's here. It's and amazing. Phil is playing this week. He hasn't always played. Uh, yeah, he has a weird relationship here. They, uh, I mean... Rory's number one this week. Jordan just got back in the top 50. Phil is just outside the top 50. I feel like this event is, has been elevated by its place in the schedule because it is before a couple of WGCs mm-hmm. where you need to be in a top 50 in the world ranking to yep. automatically qualify. Um, it is far enough away from the beginning of the season where people are really, you kind of need to start playing events, a lot of events. Yeah, Masters um, is close. <laughs> and yeah, the Masters is close, meaning like this is kind of where the we start running downhill at this at at that first major. It wasn't always as important. I mean, it has an incredible field this week. Strength of field is yeah. in the six hundreds. Is this reaching a different peak? Is it reach? Is this event reaching a different level of importance? Yeah, compared yeah. to what you've seen over the last thirty de- thirty years. Yeah, no, it's been really an, a weird up and down. I mean, when you go back to the beginning, they offered a ten thousand dollar purse, which was insane uh, at the time when it started, and so that made it a huge event. And Byron Nelson, a few people always put this on the level of the Western $10, Open $10, purse. Uh, with Hilarious. the U.S. Open. Yeah. So a lot up into the into the 50s to pros, this was essentially a major. Yeah. Along with the Western. And that kind of went away. The 70s had had an amazing run. It was a very, uh, it was just a great tournament. Glenn mm-hmm. Campbell was the host and incredible fields every year. And then, yeah, it really took a hit. Probably in the early, well, when, essentially in the early 2000s. We yeah. had a great run in the 90s, too, uh, with amazing winners. And then, yeah, we kind of when Tiger went away, the greens became a narrative to players. Yeah, um, They had some years where they had crazy rough, and that became a thing okay. that scared guys off. Uh, and then really the thing, and you hit on it, that's really helped this tournament, besides the course being in way better shape, the tournament being, you know, the new Genesis seems like they're a great sponsor. Northern yeah. Trust was great in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the, but the key, the key has been once that WGC happened, it's just been a no brainer for a lot of elite players. Yeah. And we get a lot of, you know, a Molinari this week, some Europeans who, um, you know, Seve was one guy who kind of broke uh, ground and tried to come here and he, there was a whole controversy over that. That was crazy. If, when you look back on it now that really? Dean Beeman was, not wanting to let him play here yeah, and he had to like trade wasn't a committing to thing for a sponsor's invite. You're like, really? It's Seve, <laughs> but he wasn't a member. So it's gone through these ups and downs, but obviously now it's hard to see it having trouble with, with Tiger, uh, Genesis, with the golf course. Yeah. Uh, and then this date on the schedule, as you say, if you go back, a lot of players who've had great success here went on and had a great Masters. And I don't know how many players take that into account, but... Um, well, Mike Weir... But but we're not. Didn't Mike Weir win yeah. this event the year he won the Masters? Yeah, and Bubba and Fred Couples. I mean, there've been quite a few who or who have contended, and yeah. so that's mm-hmm. again. I don't know how many players look <laughs> at that or care, but it is a wake up call that yeah, the Masters is pretty close, and this is the first. I mean, Pebble too, but it's just hard with the pro am format. But this is the first place where you kind of get an a, a, an assessment of your yeah. game that will tell you what's going to fly at Augusta and what needs work because it exposes uh, a lot. Who are you most interested to watch this week? I mean, we have a a couple different storylines of, you know, who's going to be world number one. It could be Rory, Rom, or Kepka leaving this week. There's like Sean mentioned, these guys that are lower down on the world rankings than we feel like they should be. Phil, Spieth, Jason Day just had a nice week. Who do you have your eye on? Well, obviously I'm interested in Brooks Kepka because he, I don't, I don't believe he's ever played here, or if he has, uh, it was a a, a yeah. very a brief his, appearance. So he's right. a Florida guy. He's added this. It'll be fascinating to see that. Rory has already taken um, an incredible liking to this course and the tournament. He can go 
to a coffee shop in Santa Monica and yeah. nobody has a clue who he is. And <laughs> he loves that, I think, because it's just like he can go and pull out a book and, and his wife can sit there and read. Nobody bothers him. And he just mentioned uh, in an interview in the Irish Independent this week, he said he came here, what was it? last year and he, he wanted to go stay in the hotel from pretty woman he yeah. wanted to go see <laughs> the observatory from la la land yeah so he, he's, can, he loves la yeah i'll direct him to the uh if he wants to go get on the uh 105 to the 110 and see the opening dance scene in la la land <laughs> Sit I'll in be traffic for a few hours yeah and- it's an amazing uh on-ramp but boy it doesn't last long so yeah he um he clearly loves and he loves the architecture of the course yeah. and they they generally all do um, so I'm I'm anxious to see those guys, of course. Phil, when he's playing well, is incredible here. But those irons he hit yesterday at Pebble Beach yeah, were yikes. just beyond belief. And I don't know what that was about. And this is a place where you really get exposed. I mean, the Tiger, the first year he played back, his iron game was awful and, and it was exposed. Uh, but now the way he played at Torrey, obviously he's the one – I mean, it just, it just, it's too good. We're, we're not worthy, apparently, I'm sure. But, <laughs> you know, to get win number 83 here Ugh. after starting his, making his real kind of international debut here, I feel like it's that too would, good to yeah. be true. But, yeah. it, but the way he's playing, it seems like, well, I mean, we'll see how hard he's grinding at it. But that's the thing I noticed that Tori is like, he, I don't think he really needs to, he's reached that point in his life where he's figured out whatever is going on with his swing is just, he's, it's just dialed in. He Isn't just, that incredible? It is like, incredible where he on, was. <laughs> you've been on the beat yeah. for long enough to see this guy go through some crazy crap. Yeah. Just absolute crazy highs and lows. And we are somehow again at another high. Like I, yeah. Yeah. Nobody asked I'm him blown who away and I haven't been around. Contends wrong. every week out now, it seems like. And, and you remember, nobody asks who he's working with on his swing. It's like, well, it's working. There's no, there's no question to yeah. ask there, which that used to be asked all the time. And, oh, he was spotted, you know, talking to <laughs> yeah. so-and-so as they may be working together <laughs> again. It's nuts. And now he just shows up and it, it's, um, he's kind of on autopilot. So he, and the other thing that's funny with him here is he likes the course, you know, it fits his eye. That yeah. That's code for him that he, he likes the look of holes, which we all know. I mean, everybody has holes you don't like, and, mm-hmm. and he loves the look of this. And and he did almost win here one yes. time. Um, so it's not like – and if you go back, he's, he's had a lot of 64s and 65s out here. He's just thrown in some some clunkers. And the, the stretch – I wanted to do a story, but I, Joe LaCava said yeah. there was nothing there there. But the stretch he had last year here, um, he made five birdies in a row on Saturday – uh, okay. Evening and the and then the rain, uh, round was called darkness, but that was the first time really for a lot of people in L.A. to get a moment like that with Tiger, mm-hmm. where you know you heard roars through the course. He was hitting. I mean, the shot he hit on eleven was one of the more extraordinary ones I I've seen, and uh, it was a moment for everybody here to just kind of uh, finally have him just put on the kind of show that he puts on, and, and you could tell he enjoyed it. It was you know he got in the van the Flash balls were going off when they had called play. It was just right. such a cool, cool moment for the people. And, and it was really neat because a lot of fans went home and the people who stayed just got this kind of once in a lifetime yeah. uh, memory you'll never forget. So, But hopefully he tops it with number 83. There's a, a huge difference, I think, between yourself and myself when it comes to appreciating architecture. Uh, there is naturally, but I just am kind of dipping my toe in the waters. I went a, a for much, much of my life was just going to courses to shoot a score and enjoy the score. Uh, now I'm starting to appreciate it. But for someone like myself, what makes this place good? Like why, what tenets of Riviera Country Club speak to good golf course architecture? Uh, well, I have a few things that, that basically I've tried to whittle it down for course design. To me, what makes a course great? Yeah. Um, the number one thing is, do you want to play it every day? Um, and you and I, as somebody who was very lucky as a kid to get to play here a lot, um, you, it never got dull. And that speaks to a lot of different things. It just speaks to the yeah. architect making every hole interesting. That's the easiest way for you to size, yeah, because size up a place. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's just the first question you ask. Uh, I have three questions you ask about a course. So that's number one. And yep. that just breaks off into different things like, sure. um, was it fun and playable? Was it interesting? 
Uh, did you just enjoy being out there? So this place answers the, do you want to play every day? I mean, you, you can be a bad golfer and enjoy playing here. There are a lot of Pete Dye courses. You can, you really get beat up, but yeah. here you get oh, beat God up damn, yeah. in ways that are different. So that's number one. Um, number two, when you're leaving a course, can you remember every hole? Okay. And again, that speaks to yep. a, a lot of the same factors of the first one, but other stuff, memorability just is to me, some people think that's kind of uh, shallow, but I think that when you really go to the great places, you, you leave there remembering every hole. Yeah. Um, and then the last tenant of my my three major ones is uh, is it a place you'd want to uh, take your dog for a walk? Um, now that speaks to I two like things. That, One is it this. just a great walk in the park setting? Um, you know, like here, even though they really created a lot of these green complexes, there's way more man made out here than you could ever imagine. But you look when you walk it, you you just think you're walking what they just in planted the grass and made a golf course. So it speaks to that. And then it kind of speaks to, um, they hate dogs here. So that they would, <laughs> they would get big, big point deduction here. But, uh, it also in Scotland, you go and people are allowed to walk their dogs yeah. on courses and people bring their dogs. So, um, it also speaks to a certain, uh, culture at a place. Mm-hmm. So uh, those three things are kind of what to me whittles it down and and then you can go off in a little yeah. tentacles of you ar- wonky not- architecture stuff that these things speak to as well. Are you not a big cat guy? Not a cat guy. Yeah. Not a not cat guy. Am I. And just think the game would be a lot better <laughs> if uh, more places allowed people to bring their dogs. And yeah. I like this a lot. It's like the Shackelford test here. Yeah, I need to write it as a story to just kind of lay the ground. I'm sure I need to come up with an acronym too to kind of sum right. it up. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's SAT. Um, but anyway, SAC. this place checks off every box except for the fact that they don't like to uh, mem- let members bring their dogs. How has increased distance changed this place? You talked about, you know, it's obviously not on a huge piece of property. How has that changed over the years? Well, uh, I sadly, and I, and I do apologize for appearing on like eight podcasts last week, but this, all this distance stuff came out. But anyway, one of the things that I talked to Andy Johnson about, which I've talked with a few tour players when they want to argue that distance is great for the game and everybody watches because we hit it a long way yeah. and that's all they care about. So this tournament, in the, in Jan- when it was played in January in the late 20s, was 156 players. It got uh, And they finished the rounds on this golf course and other courses. Yeah, that's a lot. Then they went to 144 for a very long time. I don't know how many years exactly, but yeah. it, let's say about 75. Yep. And then this year, we are obviously in the first year of this new format going from an open with Monday qualifying and different things, which I'm sad to see go. I think they should have kept a couple of qualifying spots and kept the name open because it was yeah. established in 1926. Yep. But whatever, I lost uh, in my uh, campaigning on that. And now we're at hundred and. I think we're going to have 122 this week. They budged There's a little. There's a soft Monday qualifier yeah. in terms of the, the collegiate Oh, yeah. So thing. we do have retained a spot um, for this wonderful event that's going on right now, which is really cool. It gets a college player in, yeah. and it's been great every year. Um, anyway, so the yes. long story short is the fields have gotten smaller, and we'll see how long it takes to play here. But the biggest change for, to me – uh, is that we added a half hour to the rounds in the last 10 years or so here. Damn. All because guys were waiting on, everybody waits on the 10th hole. Yep. Because pretty much it's a par three now. Yep. And then the 11th and 17th holes, which when I was a kid and then watching through the years, were two of the toughest par fives to reach into on the tour. Yeah. Yep. And 17 especially was uh, literally like John Daly, Weisskopf. Short list. Uh, Tom Lehman got home in two one year when he was really hitting it a long <laughs> yeah. way. I mean, he still hits it a long way, but he was one of the longest hitters in the game. And now every group, at least one guy waits uh, to get home in two, yeah, and it's downwind. That and, slows things down. And so the waits on those three holes have had a solid half hour. And so those guys who now, you know, and they've been dying to change this to an invitational because we don't, we yeah. never finish on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And they've always blamed field size for the, the time of the round. And it really isn't. It's, it's more of those weights and those things. Those and the greens spots. have gotten a lot faster here. I mean, they are, I don't know what they are this week, but they're generally around 13 and they used to be 10. And, and so you have to mark every putt. You'll see guys mark 18 <laughs> inches here and they're not wrong to do that because 
they're scary, right. especially in the afternoon. Um, they're quick and they, they, when they get that fast, they break a lot. So that time uh, to your question and the distance chase uh, has changed the way this just functions as a tournament course. It's not very sexy, but it, <laughs> those guys who are not playing here this week should, and, and then who are advocating that they're greater athletes and isn't it wonderful <laughs> and leave us alone. Yeah. Um, I hope they enjoy watching it on TV. Those those guys <laughs> yeah. at one one twenty to one forty four. It is true. There, the greens were getting a little slippery at the start of the back nine last year on Sunday. There started to be some missed three and four footers. Yeah, JT by the guys some... in contention, and it got interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I forgot. Yeah, they they got right up to the edge, and it was you know wind and cold, and they just don't grow much this time of year. So it's it's uh, it's a complete test. That's for sure. Uh, pivoting slightly, only slightly, w- the state of the game of golf, the professional game, is in a wildly interesting place. Are you annoyed by the the uh, the discussion that is happening between distance and pace of play and all these things that like center around the pro tour and still affect the amateurs? Because I'm getting annoyed. That's why I asked if you're annoyed. Because no, because I've been doing it long enough that I I gave. I was at the. I, I used to be at your stage. Yeah. And then you just have to accept that it's one of the beauties of the game. It, it could be a problem, but it's one of the, one of the real cool things that we do have. A lot of people who play the sport yep. and watch it and enjoy it because they play the sport, and no other sport has that. So it is depressing is at times. No though, sport has how that. the pro game thinks it's everything and we've we are at a point where um the players really believe they're bigger than the game i mean look at phil's comments last week you know yeah, we have man. amateurs running our doing our rules and which is kind of a really old cliched lame uh, take for him he should know better um but the connection between the two i think is really important so I know that uh, at one point I thought it was really cool that I was only one club uh, different than a pro. Yeah. Um, now there is a case to be made that no, it's more amazing that they are just so superior Incredible. to us. Yes. So I, I see both cases on that one. I, 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 it's a tough one. So I understand why people, when the distance debate comes up, go. I just the see way it as they a puzzle go. that we cannot solve. Um, like I think it's yeah. I, I actually, if you read this distance report, you can kind of see where they're going, and you realize. I think the solution may end up being a lot simpler uh, than people think, that, that it's probably a simple change in number of dimples on the ball oh. and maybe a slight change in, yeah. in rules with the driver face okay. that they're making the case for that will not affect any of us at a, a normal club head speed, yes. that it will really only dial back the guys who are playing this week. Okay, And if it's done right, which is the key, it will maybe even – accentuate the advantage that uh, a Rory, a Dustin Johnson okay. should have when they're driving the ball well. And that, to me, is the case they have to make. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they will, but that the long hitter, and, and, and a lot of these guys are starting to realize that I think uh, Rory, Adam Scott has realized it now for a few years. They're starting to realize, wait a second, my swing repeats. I hit it on the center of the face. Every Tiger's time. already reached this point. Um, people you know, made the, make the really lame claim oh he he's he would be for something because he doesn't hit it as far anymore first of all he he's still hits really it a long far. way um and he could have been making this case a long time ago and been more selfish and he could be way more selfish and say you know there's a whole bunch of people out here who are really good but they're not even close to me rory yeah you, know, you can name about and phil for a while came around on that front that that he realized wait a second i've got skills that this guy doesn't even sure. come close to having and yeah. he's hitting it with me He's shooting the same score I am. And they did realize there was a mudding of the water. So that's going to be the thing for the players to kind of work out in their minds. I don't know. I just, I think it's so hard to convince them of that. And not a lot of these guys are number savvy. Um, Oh, or reading. I mean, nobody's (laughs) going to read that report. We saw DJ's thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, (laughs) I'm amazed he even has an email address, much less that he actually opens email and sees that there's something there. They get fit into new equipment every year, though. I don't. I don't know that it's if the players are given something and told these are the new rules. I'm not sure that that's where it breaks down. Yeah, but but none of them. None of them often receive uh, from the same source. You know, they're giving something by TaylorMade. They're giving something by Callaway. They're given something by Titleist, and they're given something by the PGA Tour. And the, the thing that convinces them probably most is the PGA Tour. 
if, sure. You know, if Titleist doesn't agree with Callaway entirely, then it's kind of hard to push forward the, the most important agendas. I'm curious on a scale from not a big deal to this is a major seminal moment, where you think this distance project fits? Uh, I think it's an unbelievably seminal, monumental moment. Mm -hmm. um, and when you throw in this Premier Golf League, yes, um, <laughs> and you throw in Tiger possibly winning number 83, there are all these things kind of coming together. And I don't mean to, to, to over-exaggerate it, but... Um, th there's a potential for just a shocking turn of events in a lot of different ways. And even if none of those things pan out, yeah, uh, I think the discussion both on distance, if you go into the survey and read some of the stuff that fans say about what they find most interesting, and then you couple it with what this Premier Golf League is throwing out there as what they see as broken with the game. Yeah. Oh, and then you throw in these comments that these elite guys are more upset than we realized about how uh, underpaid they feel they are. Yeah, mm -hmm. isn't that incredible? I don't think professional golf will ever be the same. Again, if this thing goes away and the tour signs its TV deals and, I don't know, maybe they fix their partnership with the European tour better. Sure. I mean, I, they should have already done that. They yep. should have already each cut 10 events, merged the Rolex and WGCs and, and built this more powerful thing, but they haven't. Yep. for whatever reason and uh but either way yeah the discussion about what's what makes the game interesting what do we like to watch uh it's it's i don't think people have quite grasped uh and i don't think the players have quite grasped what's going on if you look at yeah. social media and just the conversations people are having i think it, i mean i'm sensing that you would agree then that any discourse to this level is healthy for the game. Phenomenal. At some point. Yeah. Overdue. Yeah. I wish it had happened a little sooner before they got so deep into the TV deal. Cause I think a lot of us felt. Yeah. Some of these co topics should have been covered sooner and yeah. addressed in the schedule and the wraparound. And <laughs> why isn't there a men's and women's event? Why, 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 why on a bunch of different things. And they've kind of held their ground and been stubborn. And now that stubbornness has been exposed uh, and it's gonna, it's opening up other things yeah. we didn't even know about. It's all about. piece of the pie stuff, right? We're all we're all trying to get a greater piece or solidifying that piece. Um, That's the one danger, though, is do they come off as just sounding greedy and yeah. and, uh, and does it turn off a lot of fans? That part, you know, they need to be careful because that was the biggest shock to me of the Tour Championship last year was how many people, you know, red-blooded capitalists, um, <laughs> like, wanted to talk to me, you know, like I'm their therapist, about they just felt uncomfortable with Rory getting $15 million Jeez. for a week's <clears throat> worth of work. I went, well, don't forget the season-long yeah, points season here. Long he accrued a lot of points. <laughs> but but people who I never would have imagined hearing that from were like, uh, I, you know, so the money. That's weird. The money part, I always thought it'd be really cool to have a big check at the end. And then once every five or six years, there's a Billy Horschel or a Bill Haas, sure. somebody who comes along and it's a life-changing yeah. thing. And it turns out, I don't think people are as richer. attracted to that as... Well, what is funny, though, is you look at someone like Rory, who, yeah, he got his big check at the end of the year. But if you look at the value he's actually delivering to the tour, well, rather than... he wrote about yeah. last week, uh, with Tiger being the example, you spoke to some PGA Tour agent, and he said, like, Tiger Woods can miss the cut this week or another week in which yeah. he's not the host, make $0 and have brought in million right. dollars worth of ticket sales. Yeah. Yeah. And how many and guys TV are selling ratings and yeah. yeah, sure. Joe tour player is one twentieth on tour is probably not moving that needle at all where Rory is significantly and Tiger is on a, you know, completely different level. Yeah. And that's um, something that I don't think we realized or I didn't, you guys might have, I didn't realize how much did that <laughs> bothered these guys because uh, I thought they understood the, the beauty of golf is that everybody starts from scratch. It's really cool when somebody you've never heard of is, is, is right there with the legend, occasionally beats them or mm -hmm. the legend holds them off, whatever. Sure. There's a beauty in that. Yesterday's yeah, a yesterday's example. a great example of that. How, you know, it was just fun to watch and, um, I don't think those guys care about that. No, <laughs> they uh, they don't find that uh, beautiful a beautiful part of the sport, and uh, that's a that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, we'll still have that at the majors always. Yeah, um, but this league would kind of uh, 
potentially eradicate that, though. There's some ways where they may have a feeder tour that somebody is coming up the ranks and they'll they'll bump somebody off mm-hmm. of that main group. There's their elements of it, but it's still not quite the the Ted Potter Jr. versus Dustin Johnson, yeah, yeah, Nick yeah. Taylor versus Phil Mickelson. That stuff does become a little bit tougher to have happen. Yeah, and I think that's fun for golf. Um, not, I mean, it's still great though. This week, I'll admit that this field is yeah. unbelievable. You're going to have some amazing pairings, yeah. and and somebody's going to be sitting there and go, "We could do this ten weeks a year or eighteen, whatever the Premier League says." Um, but they also have to have the golf courses to attract. I mean, that's a big draw here. Guys are coming here for the golf course. So it, it's going to be something that the sport has to grapple with. Are you entering an official prediction for win number 83 this week at the Genesis I'm trying. I'm trying. I want it so bad. I mean, we'll see. The great news is, now I did see something about some showery chances, 20% Friday and Saturday. But for the most part, we have no major weather events it appears no storm fronts coming through so luck of the draw which can be a big deal here yep you could get some crazy swings this time of year from morning afternoon shouldn't be an issue so uh it gives him something really to shoot for yeah which i think he needs at this point which is understandable i mean you've done it 82 times and you know you really only care truly about four weeks a year yep. to really get the juices flowing. Um, but I think he, he, once he gets in contention, he forgets all that. Yeah. And just then it's the, the fun of, of being in contention. And then you just, you know, you star players, guys, he, he is getting a kick out of beating. Yeah. Um, in a good way, not in like, uh, I showed them way, but it's just like, not okay, I, I'm getting to, to be tiger again. Sure. And I just think he I, – I hope he comes here ready to go because he should win here. He, this golf course – and he just needs to – it's really not the golf. It's the greens. He has to get this this POA thing. Yep, figured out. Um, because the greens here are beautiful. They're way better than they were when he was not liking it here. Mm-hmm. And he needs to just, just stop with the POA Forget about crap. Yep. Just admit – just acknowledge – It's one of his favorite excuses. I'm, I'm being as – I'm, you know, I'm giving him mental uh, thoughts. Just what Tiger would need. <laughs> but just, just know you're going to have – Three or four putts this week inside five feet. You're going to mm. miss, and you're going to blame the POA and just accept that that's what yeah, it's going to be because yeah. he's such a superior ball striker right now in terms of the iron play mm. that this golf course should reward that. Yeah. All right. Let's get you out of here with one more question. If you were the golf czar, if you were, if, if Mr. Shackelford was the president of golf operations in the universe, in the world, what is the one thing that you would change? Day one, the thing that you would put into play, it could affect the PGA Tour, the amateur game, putting you on the spot here. Well, if you... What's your first move? If you started the game from scratch, you would not have made it 18 holes. You would have made it 12 holes. Mr. Nicholas... I subscribe to um, ...was the one who really tried that push, uh, I want to say about 10, 12, 15 years ago, and people laughed him off. (laughs) And now... But wait, why 12? Well, a couple things. Prestwick was 12 holes. Yep. I don't think that was his thinking. I think his thinking, though, was, but that's a great thing to say, hey, Prestwick, this early <laughs> yeah. place. One of the earliest we, courses. We modeled after St. Andrews, but Prestwick was the first, the 12-holer. But nine holes isn't quite enough. 18's too much. And it just seems like it's the sweet spot in terms of time, uh, feeling like you played a round of golf, but not yeah. the ordeal that 18 holes has become. So... I would have a twelve-hole tournament. I would, I would. I mean, I wanted the Olympics to have nine-hole matches Gosh, to get back so to fun. like a cool round robin thing and do it and to because we don't, as you know, you need the pro game. You need to use to legitimize things to yes. the public mm-hmm. and like having nine holes legitimized a long time ago would have been great. So like, look what we've just had with the the par three course movement. Um, Gil Hanson and I did a course at the Prairie Club called the yep. Horse Course. It's ten holes. It's literally horse and basketball, a knockoff of you have a set group of tees, but you can go anywhere you want. Yeah. Make it your It didn't own. really catch on. Um and and even the par three course at Augusta didn't really catch on. And Bobby Jones kind of poo-pooed him, called him kindergarten courses, <laughs> and you're like, Oh, why did you oh, say no. that? And now look what's going on where we've like got these everybody wants to have a short course or they want to make their range able to be turned into a short course. Um, you know, Pinehurst, Bandon. Uh, Pebble Beach is going to make the Peter Hay a destination. Yeah. 
And it's an it's a it's an acknowledgement one that we need a place for beginners. Yep. We need a place when you're getting old and you you know you don't want to walk 18 holes, but you can still want to go out and whap it around. Yeah. We need a place for good players to have a fun little money game. Yep. Um, we need a place where you just if you want to have a quicker experience. I mean, there's so many reasons to have par three courses, and so now we're getting that. But imagine if we had legitimized uh, nine hole rounds. Uh, or something like 12, yeah. sooner the game would be a lot healthier because you just see where society's going and you see the resources it takes to build an 18-hole course and to maintain it and all that. Um, that It seems quite obvious. It seems obvious when you start going through the that and then all the ways that we've made the game better with some of these little movements that are going on that are so exciting. And you just hope the damage hasn't been done that these and the, these things will kind of catch on i mean i think the par three thing is incredibly exciting yeah those resorts are legit and now all these clubs want to have that or turn an area into that and the fact that it's novel uh is kind of shameful because right you know it shouldn't it shouldn't be novel especially because the part what what, what's you know the par three contest (laughs) at augusta it's it's been a great staple of that event like how did that not translate sooner i mean tiger's doing par three courses at every place he does jordan spieth's yeah. done a we'll have to be putting place in putting courses i'm excited and then for tiger's, uh, yeah tiger's little putting movement that he's getting into too yeah those places sound like basically uh, like a updated uh version of putt putt miniature mm-hmm. golf uh, oh, yeah. with better with flat screens and and better food and i think it's a great idea and they take a much uh much smaller space so uh, those kinds of things are what we need. And so, yeah, if I were the czar of golf, 12 holes would be yeah. the focus. I like that. Um, and it would have to start with a tournament. You need a big time tournament, um, to bite the bullet mm-hmm. and look at this premier league. I mean, they have, look at the response they got to, yeah. uh, shotgun starts, which I would have, you know, 15 years ago, people would have, yeah. what? What? Um, the shots. And then it's like, no, once you've gone through a 16 hour day at a major, it's like, yeah. we ask that. a volunteer to work for free for, an eight hour shift and then another one comes yeah. in for eight hours like are you kidding me the day is just too bloated yeah, just people be have other things to do so anyway i, I love like, it let's get you out of here things are pretty good right now yeah. but we should paint the picture for the people at home we're sitting in the beautiful genesis suite overlooking the 18th hole overlooking number 10 uh it's a little warm because it's a beautiful day outside the sun is beating <laughs> oh. in I'm actually holding an umbrella over Jeff's head right now just to keep him nice and cool. Yeah. Well, so anyway, this has been watching fantastic. Watching you be a caddy once in a yeah, while nice. is a good thing. It's good for your right shoulder. Uh, your rotator cuff will be nice and strong. Well, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of The Drop Zone for Sean Zock. I'm Dylan DeChair. We are going to be on site all week at the Genesis Invitational doing some podcasting, writing for golf.com. So be sure to follow along.